May our risen and ascended Lord continue to bless you with his grace, his undeserved love, as he continues to intercede at the Father's throne in your behalf. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, do you see any difference, any practical difference between I changed my mind and I lied? Or between I changed my mind and I broke my promise? Depends on the situation, doesn't it? It's no big deal, for example, if you're in the drive-through lane at McDonald's and you say, you know what, forget the McDouble and the water and set me up with a couple of Big Macs and some saddlebags full of fries and a chocolate malt shake. Or if you take a pair of blue jeans back to the mall to get a bigger size because of all those bad decisions you made at McDonald's. No big deal, right? We can change your mind. It isn't like we gave our word and now we're taking it back, we're lying, we can change our mind. It is a big deal, however, when you give your promise to someone and then you decide not to honor that promise. Interestingly, some have actually accused Jesus of doing that in connection with our text for this morning. They have accused him of lying. Let's take a closer look on this Pentecost Sunday as we focus on that word of God recorded by John in his gospel, the seventh chapter, beginning there with the 11th verse. The Jews were looking for him, for Jesus at the feast, and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no. He is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And then continuing in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is God's Word. Simply hearing or reading God's Word thoughtlessly has little value. But we know for certain that actually studying, contemplating, meditating on God's Word does hold tremendous value that our God would, this morning, continue to bless us through the study of these, his words. So we pray, sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. 
your word is truth. Amen. The accusation leveled against Jesus by those who deny Jesus, continuing also to this very day, the accusation was that he lied. And it had to do with the statement he made just prior to our text in verse 8, speaking to his relatives concerning this festival, he said, you go up to the feast, I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. You see the problem. In verse 8, Jesus said, you go, I'm not going. But then in our text, we read that he did go. So is this a case of an innocuous change of mind? Jesus changed his mind and went, or was he lying? The answer is probably neither. Always a careful reading of the text clears up these apparent contradictions, these misconceptions. What his relatives were urging Jesus to do, if we read carefully, was not just to go up to the festival in Jerusalem, but to come out, as it were. You remember at this point, his relatives didn't believe in him. Now, the text says brothers, that word can also be translated cousins. These were probably brothers. It's a misconception that Mary and Joseph had no other children, that Mary remained semper virgo, as one denomination refers to him, always a virgin. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that. So his brothers were taunting him. They were goading him. They did not believe he was who he said he was yet. So they were in effect saying to him, look, why don't you go up to the big city? Why stay here in Weedy City, Galilee? Go to the capital and there do your works and see what the people say there. John reveals the state of their heart. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. It was from that scenario that Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. Remember, Jesus knew not only his mission, of course, but that that mission had a specific timeline. And we know this is what Jesus was saying, in part from what he actually said. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. In other words, I'm not going to do what you said yet. He did go up later to a different festival, didn't he? To do exactly what they said. The festival of Passover, where he himself was the sacrificial lamb. But not yet. So Jesus actually never did go to Jerusalem to do what they were telling him to do. That's what he was answering. 
No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go and perform works in front of everybody at this time. So when we read later that he went to Jerusalem, we find him not in that festival, the festival of of booths. Remember, they built these little sheds out in the countryside and lived in them to commemorate the days of wandering in the wilderness. He went to teach and preach in the temple, and that's where he was found. Do you remember when he did go up later at the Feast of Passover? Do you remember there how he did forthrightly, obviously, with total clarity, tell the world who he was? Listen again to that account in Matthew 26. And the high priest said to him, and that sets the stage, doesn't it, in your mind? This is his trial. I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. You see it so you can sense his frustration. So he puts Jesus under oath. Tell us plainly, and you know his problem. His problem was that Jesus masterfully his entire life had said things that conveyed truth to those who believed in him, but also provided no handhold for those who wanted to condemn him. So constantly he said things like, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it again. He's probably talking about, I don't know, himself? But how are we going to bring that to court? This guy claimed he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. We better kill him. No sign will be given this generation except the sign of Jonah okay, we're going to have to kill this guy because he's going to give us the sign of Jonah? Which was, as Jonah was three days in the fish's belly, so Christ would be three days in the tomb. So also here. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, now we got him. Oh, wait, no, we don't. How are we going to bring into court that this guy said that rivers of living water were going to come out of him? How are we going to condemn him on that basis? So you see, Jesus never did what his unbelieving at the time brothers wanted him to do. He never went up and proclaimed himself boldly and openly in words that were irrefutable and clearly understood by all that he was the Son of God and Savior of the world. Not yet. That was his reply. his brothers, and obviously the unbelieving Jews, and his own followers needed a change, didn't they? A profound change. Because they just didn't get it. At this point in his ministry, popular thought had coalesced into two ideas about Jesus. You heard them in our text. Some said, he's a good man. Others said, he's a fraud, he's a deceiver, he's one who leads the people astray. Interestingly enough, both positions were dead wrong. Both positions, in fact, if you held to them, would lead to the gates of hell. So Jesus knew that he had to bring a change, and he knew 
what would bring that change? Pentecost. Because even being with him for three years, his own disciples didn't get it. They needed that change. Oh, they believed in him as a Messiah, but they were all befuddled as to what the goal and the mission of the Messiah was. And they just couldn't seem to wrap their minds around it. Jesus knew they needed that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Again from our text, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And here's where he pulls in Pentecost. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. It's an interesting thing there, isn't it? Now, we, th there are many things in God's Word where we read them and we accept them as true, but we can't really get into them. We can't plumb the depths of this divine truth. The Trinity itself is one. But here's another. For reasons known only to God, Jesus reveals to us that he cannot send that special outpouring of the Holy Spirit until he returns to his Father's side in heaven. Now, I suspect that our confusion or our lack of depth of understanding here is also tied to the Trinity and our lack of understanding of exactly how that works. Again, we understand one God and he shows himself, manifests himself in three separate distinct persons. And yet here we learn that Jesus tells us, unless I go to the Father, return to heaven, and receive the glory that I had before, the Holy Spirit can't come to you. So we accept that as truth without fully comprehending exactly why. That's the event that we commemorate this morning. That special outpouring of the Holy Spirit on God's New Testament church. In John, in the same Gospel of John in chapter 16, Jesus said, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. 
he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is exactly what Pentecost is all about. And that's exactly why we would do well to every day not just think about this gift that God gave us and the value of it, but thank God for it continually. Because it's just as simple as this. No Holy Spirit, no faith. No faith, no eternal life. Again, not even the chosen apostles fully understood. And that should tell us something. It gives credence to, it proves what Jesus was saying. It's to your advantage I go away. Now, wouldn't you think it would be great to have Jesus right here with us, to have Jesus attend every service with us, to be able to walk and talk with him every day? But Jesus says, it's better that I go, because then you will receive that special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you see the profound change. Just sometime in your Bible study, just gather together the silly things that the disciples said prior to Pentecost, even after Jesus died and rose and ascended. Read those, get a handle on that, and then immediately after Pentecost, Read what the disciples preached, proclaimed, shared. Beginning in our text. That's Peter. This isn't what you think. There's only nine in the morning. Nobody drunk here. This is what the prophet Joel said. Never again do they argue about who's the greatest. Never again do they wonder, are you going to establish this kingdom on earth? That's left to modern Christianity, by the way, isn't it? that Jesus is finally going to come back to earth and establish a kingdom here on this earth, a 1,000-year reign. This is exactly why this event is so important to you and me. We couldn't come to faith on our own. We could not remain in the faith on our own we would be every bit as lost as his disciples during that time. Yes, we, we get that you're the Savior, but we're kind of lost beyond that. Saving faith means more than that we believe Jesus is a good guy. In fact, believing Jesus is a good guy is as damning as believing that he's a fraud. There really is only, are only two options with Jesus, aren't they? What are they? Jesus is exactly who he said he was, the Son of God and Savior of the world, or he's a liar and a fraud. If Jesus wasn't exactly what he said he was, the Jews did the right thing to him, the thing prescribed, commanded in Moses' law. Can you see how now, why it's so important that the Holy Spirit works in us to understand that Jesus is more than a good citizen. He did more than come to earth to give us an example of what we must do. 
Those are damning errors. Those lead to eternal destruction. Jesus knew, and now we know through that indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we cannot pay for a single one of our sins. That conviction is worked on us by that same Holy Spirit. So put it this way, individually, personally. Do you have sin? Now, not just, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Yeah, yeah. Did you do something this week of which you're ashamed this past month? How's your language been? Have you allowed your eyes to see what they shouldn't? Have your thoughts been pure? Have you coveted, stolen, whatever? Think specifically. God's word tells us that nothing imperfect, unholy, will inherit his eternal kingdom. That's the position you're in apart from Jesus Christ. And it's only through that working of the Holy Spirit in your heart that you understand that we cannot, did not, can never pay for even one of our sins. It shows us that desperate situation, that hopelessness that's ours apart from Jesus. And the Holy Spirit had to show us that because no eye has seen, no mind has conceived what God had in mind for those who love him. In other words, God's plan was unknowable apart from the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, isn't it, in life how when something marvelous happens, but we've known about it for a long time, it becomes commonplace. We just take it for granted. The miracle of life. All the things that had to happen for you to be here. And, and how did life get in me? I mean, I get biologically what had to happen in our mother's womb, but life, that those cells that joined became life with cognizant thought. We just take it for granted. Well, yeah, I'm here, and that's how I got here, so. But imagine... Imagine an existence without that Holy Spirit living in us, in you. You could not come to believe these things. You could not trust that they are true. That's what God did for us on Pentecost. He poured into that New Testament church. And again, some have wondered, well, what's different about Pentecost? Because we heard in the Old Testament that he was active, in fact, he was there. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters on the first day of creation. He's eternal also with the Father and the Son. So what's different? Well, we know something is different, don't we? Because Jesus was excited about Pentecost. He saw the need, and he knew that that Spirit would take from what is his and give it to them in a way that they didn't receive before. So we call it a special outpouring of that Holy Spirit. Don't get bogged down in the different language questions. Some say, well, we should speak in different tongues. Tongues, as we heard in our second reading, was language. We know it was language because people from all parts of the world heard 
the disciples speaking in their own native language. It was a manifestation of what was going on unseen inside. The Holy Spirit had entered these people in a way different from what had been true before. The Holy Spirit now resides in your heart. The Holy Spirit makes his home within you. If we can't be amazed by that, I feel sorry for us. That's Pentecost. That's the gift that was given. Jesus knows us. He knows that we could not come to faith on our own. That was the Holy Spirit's work. But he also knew that we could not keep ourselves in that faith. That's also the Holy Spirit's work. Not only brings us to faith, but guards and protects that faith in us. Unseen. Talk about taking something important for granted. The Holy Spirit in us, continually working to renew us day by day to guide us into all truth, to preserve and protect us from error. There's a lot of that going around. Error is everywhere. How is it that you have remained, been able to remain true to God's word? Because of that same Holy Spirit who now resides within you. The gift given also to you as to the entire New Testament church at Pentecost. This is a change you absolutely want to keep, isn't it? From a rudderless, believe whatever wind of doctrine blows, to a Christian, a child of God, protected by God the Holy Spirit, who knows the truth that has set you free. Take one last thing from our text Jesus said there, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's why you and I are still here, isn't it? That's why God didn't snatch us up to heaven the moment we were brought to faith, because out of us now flows living waters. And that's just our words, and to a certain extent our deeds, but mostly what we share with the world, this message of salvation by God's grace through faith alone in his son. Not his son, the good guy. Certainly not his son, the fraud and liar. His son, the Savior, the one who provided the full and complete payment for the sins of the world. That's why we're here. And so we ask also this morning that that same Holy Spirit who lives in us would give us strength courage. Make known to us the opportunities that he places before us to be what we're supposed to be, that source of living water, that simple message that we have in never-ending abundance. God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.